Well, it's good to see everybody today. Those of you joining us from all over the Atlanta area on television, online, and all around the country, we're glad that you're here. If you haven't been here in a while or you haven't joined us in a while, we are in the middle of a series called Breathing Room, and we're picking up on part three. It's a four-part series, and if you weren't here the first two weeks, if you go to this website right here, you can watch these online. Share them with a friend. If you're in a community group or a small group or you're about to start a small group, at the same website, you can download questions for each of these messages. Talk about it with your friends. Talk about it with your family. Talk about it with your kids um, because we all need breathing room. Now, if you weren't here, real quick, catch up. Here's what we mean when we talk about breathing room. Breathing room is the space or the distance between our current pace and our limits in any area of life. Last week, we talked about time. Today, we're going to talk about money. Next week, we're going to talk about relationships. But breathing room is basically the margin between our current pace, how hard we're charging, how fast we're spending, how you know crazy our schedules are and our relationships are, and our limit. And what we've said throughout this series is that life is better with breathing room. We've said that it's okay for your closet to look like this. It's not okay for your life to look like this. It's better if your life looks like this. And as we said in the first week, some of you look at a closet like this and think, well, they just need to go shopping, okay? And that, that may be the case. But the truth is, when it comes to your time, when it comes to your budget, when it comes to your relationships, that this just doesn't work for very long and without ever meaning to, and our effort to get the most out of life, and our effort to get the most out of life, oftentimes we lose control of our life and we cram so many things in that there's no space, there's no margin, there's no breathing room. So today we're shifting gears and today I wanna talk about your money. Now here's the great news, especially if you haven't been to church in a long time, I don't want anything from you. Okay, we're not launching a capital campaign. We're not gonna take another offering. This isn't an ask. I don't want anything from you, but I do want something for you. Now, last week when we talked about time, we said this. We said our time is limited, therefore we have to limit what we do with our time. Remember that? Our time is limited, therefore we have to limit what we do with our time. That was when we talked about breathing room and creating a breathing room in our schedules. Money is similar, but it's different in this way. Your money is limited, but you don't have to limit what you do with your money. And this is why our finances oftentimes look like this, where everything is accounted for, there's no space, and if we try to cram one more thing into our budget, the whole thing's gonna fall apart. The difference is this, your time is limited, so you have, to, you have to limit what you do with your time. Your money is limited, but you don't have to limit what you do with your money, you know why? Because whereas you can't borrow time, you can borrow money. And in borrowing money and in not being careful of the way that we manage our money before long, financially, our worlds begin to look like this, and it's no fun, and you don't even enjoy the things you own. And every single month, every single week, every single year, you have kids and time goes on and there's more and there's more and there's more financial pressure. So today, for a few minutes, I wanna talk about how to create some breathing room financially. I'm gonna give you a homework assignment. I'm gonna push you really, really hard on this. And here's the cool thing. If you're not a Christian or you're not a God follower, a believer, or you don't know, or somebody bribed you with lunch or you know, you're know you visiting from out of town and you got up this morning to read the newspaper and they said, oh no, we go to church in this family and here you are at church, you didn't wanna be here, somebody made you stay up late and watch this crazy show, whatever the case is, you don't have to be a Christian or a religious person to understand and to benefit from what we're gonna talk about today. But if you are a Christian and if you are a Jesus follower, this isn't optional because what we're about to see is this. There is a relationship, and this is huge, there is a relationship between your ability to follow Christ 
There is, an, there is a relationship between your ability for Jesus to use Bible terminology to be the Lord of your life and your willingness to get your financial house in order. And it has nothing to do with giving. It has everything to do with breathing room because of what Jesus said about finances. So to begin our discussion, I wanna tell you something that nobody's telling you. When I tell you this, you're gonna go, oh, that's right, I just never thought about it because every single day we're taught the, told the opposite. And here it is. There is a big difference between your standard of living and your quality of life. There is, a, there is a complete, there's a big difference between standard of living and quality of life. Now, every single day, every single advertisement, I'm all for advertisers, I'm all for marketing. If you're majoring in marketing, I hope you're great at it. I hope you make a lot of money so that I'm not trying to discount an industry or a segment of society. But every single day with every single advertisement, you are told and I'm told that these two things are the same. That if I raise my standard of living, if I drive better, dress better, vacation better, eat out better, date better, you know, everything's better, better, bigger, shinier, upgrade everything I have. If I raise my standard of living, I'll have a better quality of life. Absolutely not true. In fact, some of you are not enjoying the quality of your life and you have a higher standard of living than you've ever had before. You and your family, you and your spouse, you and whoever you know is in your life, your significant other, your standard of living has been raised throughout the years, but you don't get along and you argue about money and stuff all the time. And you have more stuff than you've ever had, but you're not enjoying it. You know why? Because there is a difference between standard of living and quality of life. You can raise your standard of living with debt. You raise your quality of life with discipline. And we like debt more than discipline. When it comes to time, your time is limited, so you have to limit what you do with your time. When it comes to money, your money's limited, but you don't have to limit what you do with your money because the debt and a lack of discipline. So here's where we're going. It got really quiet at that point in the message, didn't it? It's like I haven't even got to the Bible yet, and it's like, oh my gosh. But I'm telling you, if you have to leave early or you, you, know, you lose electricity at home, here, here's, here's the deal, okay? This is, this is so important. Don't, this is huge. Don't ever confuse these two things. Now, if there's a God and God knows your name or God cares anything about you, what would you guess God is more concerned about if he loves you, not he's mad at you or wants something from you? What does God need from you? Nothing. You're here for a second. We talked about that last week. God is everlasting to everlasting. What could you possibly do for God? Nothing. If you ever think somehow God is better off because of you, your God is very small. God is in your back pocket. You have a God that you said, stay, I'm going out. If I need you, I'll call you, okay? Stay, it's spring break, you stay, okay, you're, that's your God. That God doesn't exist except in your mind. God is from everlasting to everlasting. What could God ever benefit from you? He can't benefit at all, but God loves you. And if God loves you, whether it's the Christian God or whatever God you worship. And if you're a Christian, you actually believe that he sent his son to this world to give his life for you. If you believe that, what do you think he's more interested in? Your standard of living or your quality of life? Let me ask it this way. If you're married, what would you rather have? An awesome marriage or a horrible marriage with cool cars? Now, some of you tried this. Some of you, you got like an awesome house and really cool cars and you don't like to go home. When she hears the garage door open, she looks for something to do. She's leaving, right? And you drive up and she's not there and you're happy. 
and you got cool cars, way to go. At some point along the way, it begins to dawn on us and the earlier the better, there is a difference between a standard of living and a quality of life. That's why breathing room, breathing room financially is so huge. That's why margin financially is so huge. So here's where we're going. Here's the statement, ready? Creating breathing room, creating breathing room financially may lower your standard of living, but I'm an American. I'm an American. I can't lower my standard of living. They might, you know, I'm, they may, might deport me. I mean, what an un-American thing to do. Just hang on, all right? Just getting started. B- creating breathing room financially may lower to your standard of living, but I promise you it's gonna raise your quality of life. And at some point along the way, at some point along the way, quality of life is gonna become more important to you than your standard of living. Come on, in fact, some of you are already there. You've got stuff you wish you didn't have. You live in some place you can't even sell. You're driving a car and you leased it and you thought, who talked me into this? And now it's like you're stuck and you're upside down in a car payment. I mean, you, you got stuff in your closet that was so cool, you don't even wear it anymore. And you do that thing that every lady does. You look at a full closet and say, I don't have anything to wear. And people in other parts of the world are like, I'll take it all. I'll wear it till it's threadbare. But again, we, we fell into this thinking that standard of living somehow increases my quality of life. Some of you have more money or make more money than you've ever made and you have no peace. You have no peace because you fell for a lie. And I'm not blaming advertisers. I'm not blaming marketers. It's your fault. It's your fault. You believe something that as soon as I showed you on the screen, you knew intuitively, yeah, that's true. There's a difference between standard of living and quality of life. And you've been deceived. So we're gonna talk about it today. And again, if you're not a religious person, this is a motivational self-help talk. Okay, I'm fine with that. If you're a Christian, this is a you better pay attention because you cannot be a follower of Jesus and not get this right, okay? Everybody with me so far? Any questions? Didn't think so? Okay, now let me tell you three things I know about you, okay? Then we're gonna dig in. Three things I know about you. Number one, you are living on a percentage of your income. And I didn't think I'd see anybody go, oh, that's, that's, I need to write that down. I'm living on a percentage of my income. Now we talk about that. We don't talk about it enough. You're living on a percentage of your income and you don't know what it is. Now this is huge. You are living on a percentage of your income and you never think about it. And this is, this is so important. When I used to do premarital counseling with young couples back when I thought I could do that and I would sit down and you know, we'd talk about sex and we'd talk about money and then we'd talk about sex again, talk about money because I figure if you get that right, it's all gonna work out. So when we get to the money part, I'm just kidding. When we get to the money part, I would always say to young couples, and if you're a young couple or you think about getting married or you know, you're trying to figure that whole thing out or maybe you've been married but don't have kids yet or whatever, I would say, you know what? Here's something to think about. You know, everybody's gonna talk to you about a budget. Okay, that's kind of a waste of time, but go ahead and set up a budget. And it's, you, know, you won't live on it, but you know, if you feel good about that, you know, it's good to have a budget. I said, but here's what you need to do. You need to decide what percentage, what percentage of your income you're gonna live on. They look at me like, I go, I know, nobody talks about this. You are going to live on a percentage of your income. Why not pick one? If you don't pick one, culture will pick one for you. If you don't pick one, the mall will pick one for you. If you don't pick one, a car dealership's gonna pick one for you or a real estate agent. Love real estate agents, love car dealers, love all that. But I'm just telling you, their job and their role in life is not to drive you to a percentage of income that you live on. Now, here's the deal. 
All of you live on a percentage of your income. I bet you've never thought about it. I bet you never chose one. I bet you have allowed life to drive you to that percentage. Second thing I know about you is this. If you had a little bit more, it would be fine. Things would be fine. How many times have you thought that? You know, things are so tight. Things are so tight. Things are so tight. If we had just a little bit more, things would be fine. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand. You know what's so interesting about that? We've all felt that. We've all, if we just, we just, and why is that? It's because we never chose a percentage and we have allowed lifestyle to stay in sync with income. Now here is the don't laugh at yourself and don't elbow anybody and don't nudge and don't think I can't wait for my husband to hear this, okay? Number three, I know about you. You felt the same way when you made a lot less. You felt the same way when you made a lot less money. In other words, if 10 years ago, if you're old enough to go back 10 years and you had a career, if 10 years ago, somebody were to tell you that you were gonna make as much money as you do now and you were gonna feel financial pressure, you would have laughed. Like, are you kidding? If I could ever get to the place where I made 10 grand more than I do now or 15 grand more, if I could ever get to the place where I wasn't hourly anymore, I could have an actual salary. If I ever had a job that provided benefits, are you kidding? I would be golden. I would be so happy. And here you are better off than you were before and you still feel like, if I just had a little bit more, things would be fine. That's called marginless, breathing room free living. And the interesting thing is that will never, ever change no matter how much money you make until you make some big changes. And again, if you're not a Christian, you're not a religious person, this is Good Self Helps Financial Seminar. I'm getting ready to, but listen, if you're a Christian, this is huge. You can't follow Jesus. Now, now, now don't, and when I say follow Jesus, let's talk about it in two ways. I mean, let's say you're not even sure Jesus is alive. You just think he had good things to say and you wanna follow the teachings of Jesus. You can't follow the teachings of Jesus and not get this right. And then if you're like me, you actually believe he rose from the dead and still lives and somehow inhabits our praise and inhabits our hearts and lives inside of us. You really can't get this right until you face up to what we're gonna talk about. Now, some of you are visual learners. So now I wanna make it, Visual, in case I haven't been clear, all right? So we got a chart. Here's your money, here's time. Let me go over this real slow. This is money, this is time. Now, in your life and in your lifetime, hopefully your income will look something like this. Now you say, well, that's so steep. Okay, but this isn't necessarily thousands of dollars. This could be $100. You make $100 more every year, 1,000, 10,000, 100,000, doesn't matter. Over the course of your life, hopefully you're gonna have an income and hopefully it's gonna increase. And I understand for some of you it went like this, that it went like this and up and down. Some of you, it's just flat line. Okay, I, I understand. This is just an illustration. Everybody with me? This is money, this is time, all right? In an ideal world, in a breathing room world, if you were to get this right or if you've gotten this right, your spending would look something like this. <clears throat> there would be space. We call this space breathing room. This is margin. This is, wow, look how much we spent, but look how much we made. Hey, you know what? I think we can take a better vacation. I think we're gonna be able to pay for college. You know what? You know, things are kind of tough. In fact, sometimes the income flattens out, but as long as you have space, you have room to breathe. And here's what I know about you. You want this. Red, yellow, black, and white, you want this. 
Christian, pagan, Muslim, Jewish, Catholic, Protestant, Baptist, Pentecostal, don't believe, don't know what I believe. You want this. Single, married with kids, had kids, wish they'd move out, they move back. It doesn't matter. Every, this, is, this, is, this is a good thing to shoot for because you know what happens in here? You get along better. You sleep better. You drive slower. You can pray and concentrate. You are more generous. You're more generous with your time. You're more generous with your money. Now, if I were to say, that's it for today, let's close in prayer. God, thank you for our five minutes sermon today. Here's the thing, you should do whatever it takes legally to get here. Your life is better, seriously. Life is better with breathing room, isn't it? I mean, is anybody going, oh, that's the worst idea I ever, no, we, we just get this, okay? All right, now here's where most Americans are. Let's whoop, squeeze that in, that's how it works right there, doesn't it? Because I allow, you allow, we allow our income to drive our spending. If I make $45,000 a year, I'm gonna spend it. Make 55, spend it, 100, spend it, 200, 300. And here's the amazing thing. And those of you who make you know, $55,000 to $75,000 a year, you're not gonna believe what I'm about to tell you, all right? Did you know that if you make $250,000 a year, and your spending tracks your income, you still feel financial pressure. In fact, you're sitting here, if you make $150,000 a year and you think, man, I hear about these rich people make $250,000. If I ever made $250,000 a year, I would just be throwing money out the window. I would just be so rich. You know what? People who make $250,000 a year who have it all spent and all kind of crammed into every single category and budget, you're not gonna believe this. They feel the same pressure you do. In fact, it's worse. Let me tell you why it's worse. Because if you lose a $55,000 a year a job, you can go find one of those maybe. You lose a $250,000 a year a job, woo, those are few and far between. You lose a four, I'm telling you, the more money people make and their spending goes right up with their income, the pressure just increases. And then of course, there's this. There's the, uh-oh, <laughs> uh-oh. And sometimes this is because income drops. A lot of times we just spend and borrow our way into oblivion. And because you don't pay attention and because people don't pay attention, all of a sudden it's like things get upside down. And now they're real marriage problems, relationship problems. And now there's all kinds of pressure and tension. Now you don't enjoy anything. And what's so amazing, you got a life full of stuff and you don't enjoy any of it. Now, nobody ought to live this way, okay? Now, let's go, go back one, okay? Now, here, here's, here's what happens here. We'll get to the spiritual part, okay? When your life is like this, you become a slave. You become a slave. You have purchased and borrowed your way into slavery. Now, this is amazing. So consequently, banks love banks. Banks are good. If you work for a bank, you're good, okay? If you work for a credit card company, I love credit card companies. Credit card companies are good. I like to buy gas and just put a plastic in there and go on my merry way. It's awesome. Thank you. Visa, MasterCard, American Express, thank you. If you work for one of those companies, thank you. If you work for SunTrust, Bank of America, Wachovia, I love all of you, okay? But let me tell you about the people who work in all those companies. Listen, they do not want to be your owners and your masters. 
They don't wanna be, that's not why they're in business. They're in business to facilitate your happiness and to facilitate your ease and to make things easy for you. But when your personal finance looks like this or worse, they become your masters and you hate them. You get letters in the mail from them and you hate them and you don't even know who mm is because they don't even know you. You're a number and you hate them and they don't even know you exist, okay? And suddenly there's this, you become a slave. You become a slave. They are your master. And in most cases, not all, in most cases, you spent and borrowed your way into slavery. Who would do that? And now everything economic, everything financial is your master. You can't buy that, can't drive that, can't live there, can't pay for that. She can't go to school there. Your kids can't go to school there. You can't vacation there. You can't, mm-mm, 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 mm-mm. And you know who's running your life? Financial things, people you don't know. Bills are running your life. Mortgages are running your life. Leases, car payments, it's running your life. Next thing you know, you become a slave. You become a slave to a group of people you don't even know. And, and, and you know this, you feel this pressure. You become a slave financially, there's just things you can't do. You can't fund your dreams. You can't fund your children's dreams. You become a slave emotionally, you know why? Because you worry all the time about money. You just worry, worry, worry. And again, as I said a while ago, the more money you make, the more you worry because you know how hard it is to replace a big income. I mean, it's bad to replace a small income. It's bad if you have to replace a medium-sized income. But the more money you make, the more you worry because you realize if I go down, the odds of me replacing this much income are almost non-existent. And then... You're a relational slave because you, every, all your conversations, it's just, it's terrible. Who would wanna do that? Why, why have you done that to yourself? Well, Andy, it's been a bad economy. No, 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 no. Okay. You started this way before 2008. This started for you way before 2007. This is just what you've been doing. And then the economy had a hiccup and you wanted to blame somebody. Well, it's the president, it's the previous president. It's Wall Street, it's all, no, 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 no. See, you've been living your life with no margin. You've been sowing and now you're reaping. And I think that should change, don't you? Now, if you're a Christian, this is a really big deal. This is a really, really big deal. Because Jesus, you know, if you're not a church person or you hate church or you hate people like me, I understand that, especially if you're a guy. I mean, you gotta understand, okay? Men, they don't like people like me. I mean, why would you? I'm always telling you what to do. And then your wife, she believes it. It's like, honey, and no man, I, I'm with you. No man wants some other guy to be telling his wife how to live her life and tell you. I mean, I, I get that, so it's okay to hate me. But here, I'm fine with that, okay? Here's, here's all I ask. When you open the pages of the New Testament and you look what, about how often Jesus talks about money, it's one of the reasons preachers talk about money so much. And Jesus never took up an offering and asked for money. So I'm not talking about that. Jesus said so much about money. You can't be a sincere follower of Jesus if your financial world looks like that and if you don't have any breathing Room. And here's the most amazing thing. If you're not a church person or not a Christian, this whole idea of living, you know, like a slave to all things financial, Jesus, 2,000 years ago, 
predicted this. Check this out. He, he, he told this parable. This one of my favorite parables that he told uh, in, the, in, in Luke chapter um, 15 or 16, Luke chapter 16. And the reason it's one of my favorite parables, I'll tell you why. It's because I actually understand this one, okay? About two thirds of Jesus' parables, I'm like, I have no idea, keep reading. You know, I hope nobody says, hey Andy, what does this mean? I have no idea, okay. But in Luke chapter 16, he, he does, Luke chapter 15, he talks about the prodigal son. We love that one, understand that one. Luke chapter 16, he tells this fascinating parable about a money manager and he gets fired and decides to leverage his opportunities so that when he gets fired, he'll have a job. It's a great, if, you're, if you've never read the Bible, just go read Luke chapter 16, it's this cool parable. But at the end of this parable about money, Jesus draws a conclusion. How smart was Jesus? Look what he said, he said this. No one can serve two masters. Now, some of you have been in jobs where you had two masters. You know, you had like the boss on that, you know, that particular location. Then you had somebody at headquarters and everybody's telling you what to do. And Jesus said, oh, I know what that's like. No one can serve two masters. If you're ever in a place, or maybe you grew up and your mom was saying one thing, your dad was saying something else, you know, or your parents were divorced and you lived with your mom part of the time, your dad part of the time, you had two masters. And Jesus says, oh, I understand that. But nobody can really serve two masters. If you are in a situation where there's two different entities, two different people, two different groups, two different whatevers telling you what to do, you realize that you're torn, there's a tension, and you can't fully serve either one. Interesting observation. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one. I love being with my dad. He lets me stay up late. Or you will, and be, either you will hate the one and love the other, okay? I love her because she understands what we're doing in this business. My boss on location, he doesn't get it at all. I love the one, hate the other. Love my mom, don't love my dad. Love my dad, don't love my mom. You know, there's, there's this tension. You'll love the one, hate the other. Or you will be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. But this is brilliant. He says, if you're ever in a situation where you're in a tug of war, and you've got two different people, two different groups telling you what to do, then you're gonna have an, you'll be inclined to lean toward one and lean away from the other, but then you'll kind of feel guilty because after all, they, oh, that is my mom, or well, she is my boss, or well, he did hire me, or he did give me an opportunity. And he said, you're just, it's just gonna be terrible. And so everybody's listening to Jesus teach this, and they're going, because you know, it's so fascinating to read Jesus teaching. He was so great. You know, he tells this amazing principle, this amazing parable about a money manager and a money lender, and this rich guy fires him, then tells him he really did a good job, and everybody's totally confused. And then it looks like he changes the subject. You know, you can't serve two masters. You're gonna love one, hate the other, despise one, be devoted to the other. And then Jesus <laughs> makes this relevant 2,000-year-old comment. <clears throat> You cannot serve God and money. Oh, don't you mean God and the devil? No, that's not what I mean. God and money. That if you find yourself in a situation where money is saying you can't, you can't, you can't, you have to, don't you dare, don't consider it, don't even look over there. And God's going, here's how I want you to live your life. Here's how I want you to be generous. Here's how I want you to create this. Here's how I want you to love your family. Here's how I want you. He says, if you find yourself in that situation, it won't be unusual for you to find yourself in a situation where you feel torn between your devotion to God and your devotion to stuff. He says, but you really, at the end of the day, you've got to choose which master. Now, this is so important if you're a Christ follower. 
if money is your master because you have because you have traded, borrowed, or spent your way into slavery, if if money is your master to where really when you open the pages of Scripture you go, I know Jesus said that, but I can't do that. Visa won't let me. My mortgage company won't let me. If you find yourself so enslaved financially that you can't do what Jesus says financially, then you can't even follow Jesus. And what about this one? Don't you hate this verse? We looked at it the first week. Jesus says, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. And you're going, have you seen my financial world? It's all I do is worry. And what do you feel? You feel this tension. I mean, I want to follow Jesus, but how can I not worry? Look at the mess I've made. Look at the mess that I started to make, then the economy made it worse, and then my boss made it even worse. But yeah, I'd like to blame everybody else, but I haven't saved. You know, I haven't been careful. I've just done what everybody else around me has done. And now there's a tension. And yeah, I, I, I love singing the songs, and I love to pray, and I love to see baptisms, and I love buying the, the, the messages sometimes or watching them online, and I love the insight, and I love, I love my family being here. But honestly, when it comes down to actually doing this stuff, I can't do it. And you have allowed your mismanagement of your money to keep you from becoming a sincere, sold-out follower of Jesus Christ. He can't be your master. This is a big deal. He can't be your master financially because you read what Jesus says and you don't have any extra. You don't have any margin. You read what he says emotionally and you worry all the time about money even though he says, don't worry about anything. And then relationally, you know, in the New Testament, the whole New Testament is about one another, one another, one another, love one another, serve one another, be compassionate to one another, carry one another's burdens, forgive one another, one another, one another, one another, one another. Did you know when your financial world is out of order, you don't do much one another because it's all about you and you almost can't keep that from being a reality. So you know, for everybody else, motivational talk, you know, we'll get some more practical stuff in a minute. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is a spiritual issue. You've got to create financial breathing room because it's in the breathing room you find peace. It's in the breathing room you find the margin to serve and to love other people financially. It's in the breathing room that your relationships are, they're better because you're not so worried, so focused, so bent out of shape over money. Who's gonna be your master? You, you, if you have two masters, you're gonna be frustrated. And if you're a Christian and you're upside down financially, you have two masters, you do. And you're gonna lean toward one and away from the other. You're gonna lean toward you know, the financial master and then you're gonna come to church and sort of pick and choose and then hear sermons like this and go, I can't do that. And you feel guilty this way, you feel guilty that way, and you're torn. And so your heavenly father who loves you, who doesn't need anything from you, who loves you throughout the Old and New Testament as we've seen throughout this series says, come on, I want you to come away from the edge. I want you to come away from the limits and I want you to live an abundant life. I don't want you to, I don't want you to be driven by standard of living. I want you to be driven by quality of life because in your quality of life, you'll have a better quality of relationships. Your health will be of a better quality. You'll be in a better position to serve me, to go when I say go and to stay when I say stay. 
and to stay in a city where I want you to stay even though your job wants to take you somewhere else. I want you to have a quality of life that reflects my life in you. So what do you do? So now I'm gonna give you some steps, but let me just tell you about steps. Nobody lives their life by steps. I realize that. Nobody walks around with a list. Okay, first, I'm the, what's, what's the second thing? I, I get that. So I don't ever preach steps. I don't preach points because nobody lives that way. So I'm gonna give you some steps anyway, but really the first one's the most important one. You can just pack up and leave after the first one because you're smart. Okay, if you attend one of our churches, you are smart, all right? You are higher than average IQ people, okay? To, to put out what we do and listen to me, okay? You are smart, you're educated, you've read books, you, you know, you, you've downloaded, I mean, you're, you're smart people. So I don't really think, I, if, if you feel like I'm insulting your intelligence, I, I don't mean to. I think you know how to do this. I just think you gotta go do it. But just to kind of give you a head start, I wanna just make some suggestions, okay? And this, is, this will work if you're a Christian or not. If you're not, it's optional. If you wanna live with all that financial pressure, you go for it. I'm so sorry, but you, you, now you've heard. If you're a Christian, you gotta do something about this because Jesus died to be your Lord and your Savior and you sing about it every week and you can't follow him with all that you are. If you're a slave to a group of lenders, that they don't have anything against you. They don't even wanna be your master, but you've allowed yourself to get in that situation. So here are my lame steps, okay? If at the end of this you go, that was just so lame. I know, I, don't, I, just, I just want you to do this. So the first one, this is pretty complicated, is decide. Let's just say it out loud together. I'm going to, yeah, you just have to decide to do this, okay? Listen, it's, it's like working out. Working out, it, it's not about the difficulty, it's about the discipline, isn't it? I mean, nobody has to explain. Nobody ever says, you know, the reason I don't exercise is I don't know how to do it. Nobody, that's not it. It's the discipline. And again, debt is how you have a higher standard of living. Discipline is how you have a better quality of life. So step number one is really the only step most of you need because you're so sophisticated and you're so smart. You just need to decide, I'm not going to live this way anymore. You say, how? Don't worry about how. Once you figure out the what, I think you are smart enough to figure out the how. You've gotta get so disgusted, so mad, so frustrated, so I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not blaming a president, a prior president. I'm not blaming the economy. I'm not blaming my boss. I'm not blaming, I'm not blaming anybody else. It's my life. These are my decisions. And yeah, life isn't perfect, but I'm deciding one way or the other, I'm gonna open up some space between my income and my spending, all right? Now, if you need a second step, here's the second one, is you need to create a breathing room goal. Here's what I mean by that. Go back to our little chart. You just need to decide what percentage you wanna have between those two lines. Now, let me, I understand. You go, Andy, this is, you don't understand my situation. I know, here's all I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to write down a number by yourself, with your spouse, you know, with your family. Decide, okay, in an ideal world, what would we want that to be? 5%, 10%, 20%? What would you like it to be? I just dare you to decide we're gonna figure this out and here we're gonna have something very specific to shoot for, okay? Then number three, we've talked about this a lot, is you gotta spy on your money for two months, okay? Everybody should be a knowing where all their money is a going. 
Everybody should be a knowing where all your money is a going. If you don't know where your money's going, forget this and forget a budget. So we've talked about this so many times. You need to get a ledger sheet, Excel, Quicken, download something I haven't ever heard of, and you need to just start for two months. You need to log in every single penny you spend as a couple, as an individual. You need to log it. If you don't know where it's going, you don't know what to do about it. You know how to fix this. And Sandra and I have been doing this for, um, since before, oh, I started before we were married. We've been doing this the whole time we've been married. And you know what? The other night, or as we got to the end of the year, she had a big stack of things she hadn't entered in. I mean, we, we log in every single penny we spend in every category. We do. So she would, had fallen behind a little bit, you know, so she's trying to make up. And I walk in, she's got all these receipts. And I'm like, oh, I hate that you're doing that. She goes, no. So it was at the end of the year, I said, look, I said, I, you know, she had other stuff to do. I said, you know what? Do you really want to keep doing this? I said, you know, we have, so, we, have, we have 20 something years of track record. We know where our money go. We know, okay, it's no mystery to us. We've been doing, I said, do you really wanna even keep doing this? It's such a hassle for you. And you know what we decided? Here's what we decided as a couple. We decided that we're gonna keep doing it just so I can tell you we do it to get you to do it. I'm not kidding. I said, you know what we decided? We decided this has made such a significant difference in our lives financially. I want the moral authority to be able to stand up here and say, even at our stage of life with all of our success, we log every single penny we spend on a ledger sheet on a computer and every year we know where every penny went and we don't need to do it, but we're gonna keep doing it so I can tell you we do it to get you to do it because it's that big of a deal. And again, if you're not a religious person, that's good advice. If you're a Christian, don't we believe that everything belongs to God? Don't we believe he's placed it in our greedy little hands for a little short time and that we're stewards? And if you don't believe, just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus says it over and 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 over that we give an account for how we live our lives and we give an account for how we lived our financial lives. You owe it to yourself and your heavenly father to know where your money's going. And you're never gonna be able to create space till you know where it goes. So you gotta spy on your money for two months and then you cut spending. Or raise your what? Your debt ceiling, exactly. You either cut spending or you rent, just kidding, okay? Every, yeah, don't send any emails. Every administration has done it just about right. You cut spending, we don't get to raise our debt ceiling. You just have to start. It's not very patriotic, again, but you have got to cut spending. Now, here's the thing. You can't cut spending till you know where your money's going. That's why for two months, you gotta spy on your money. Now, I know we hate to cut spending, but let me just give you a little insight, okay? This is for free, ready? I want is better than I owe. I want that car is better than I owe money on that car. I wanna live in that house is better than I owe money on that house. I wanna wear that pair of shoes is better than I owe money for a pair of shoes. I wanna eat at that restaurant is better than I owe money on my rest for a restaurant. I wanna go on that cool vacation is better than I owe money for a cool vacation I couldn't afford. I want is better than I owe. We really need to say this one out loud, okay? Because this is just goes right to the heart of the American insanity. Ready, say it with me. I want is better than I owe. So cut spending. And then last, again, I know these are lame, but I love you and I want you to get this right, is then you develop a debt retirement plan. Now, 
I'm going to tell you how to do this. This is so simple, all right? Three steps to de developing a debt retirement plan. I'm not a financial planner. Duh, okay? Um, so here it is. You go to the bookstore and you buy Dave Ramsey's book called Financial Peace Revisited. Now you say, I can't afford it. I have a second plan. You go to the bookstore, you pull it off the shelf, you sit in a chair and you read chapter eight. It's on page 67. <laughs> Andy, I don't have time to go to a bookstore and find the book and sit in a chair. Okay, so here's your option. You take your smartphone that you can't afford, you find the book, you turn to page 90 and 91 and you take pictures of page 90 and 91. It's the debt snowball program that he's done. So then you just put the book back on the shelf, don't bend any pages, go home and then open up your camera on your phone and you just read those two pages and get started. And then when you go out of debt, get out of debt, you go back to the bookstore and you buy the book, okay? There is a way to get out of debt once you decide you're gonna do it. And if you're not a Jesus follower, this is good advice. If you're a Jesus follower, it's a mandate. It's what you gotta do. It's what it means to follow Jesus. That's why he talks so much about money because he knows this. The chief, don't miss this, the chief competitor for your heart is not the devil. The chief competitor for your heart is stuff. And Jesus, 2,000 years ago, knew that. And he said, I didn't come to die on the cross for your sin just so you could go to heaven. I wanna be the master and the Lord of your life. Which means creating breathing room financially, it may lower your standard of living, but it's gonna raise your quality of life. That's why we say that life is better with breathing room. So decide. Set a goal, spy on your money, cut your spending, get out of debt, become a sincere follower of your savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, it's so simple. We know today we didn't learn anything new. We were just reminded of what some of us have known for a long time. And Father, I know there are people listening who this is so difficult because life really, really, really has kicked the legs out from underneath them. Give them the grace to know what to do with what they've just heard. For most of us, Father, it's just purely a discipline issue. Give us the courage to do with what we just heard what we need to know to do. And Father, for couples, for couples who this is a, just isn't just a one person, this is a two person thing and they don't necessarily see eye to eye, give them the grace to have the conversation today they need to have so that they can make the decisions they need to make, so that they have a better quality of life, a better quality of life with you, with each other, to free themselves up to be able to serve you, go where you want them to go, give what you want them to give, uh, serve other people the way that you want them to serve. But Father, bring us to a place to where the world and our credit cards and the things of finances are no longer our master but that you're our master. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.